Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. The AFL-CIO gains another union affiliate, the Women's National Basketball Players Association, the four states that like to keep wages low. And today on the show, the latest from the National Treasury Employees Union and the UE, United Electrical Workers Local 506 in Erie, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the Friday, February 10th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Tony Reardon. Tony has served as national president of the Treasury Employees Union. Website is nteu.org. He's been in that capacity since August of 2015. And as the union's top elected official, he is the spokesperson the union representing the NTEU with the media, Congress, and agency leadership on issues important to union members and federal employees. Today, the union has grown to represent 150,000 employees from 33 different government agencies. The mission to help create workplaces where every federal employee is treated with dignity and respect. And I want to tell you, they are in so many branches of government, Department of Agriculture, Department of Commerce, Defense Department, Energy, Department of Health and Human Services, Food and Drug Administration, National Center for Health Statistics, Department of Homeland Security, Customs, Border Protection, Federal Law Enforcement Training Centers, and then the Treasury. IRS, Bureau of Fiscal Service, Office of Chief Counsel, Tax and Trade Bureau, Consumer Financial Protection, National Credit Union. I didn't get to all of them, but like I said, they cover a lot of branches of government. One of the big things that we're going to talk about today is that the IRS, Internal Revenue Service, I know that is an agency you love to hate. You hate to pay the taxes, but guess what? We got to keep government running. Well, they received almost $80 billion in the Inflation Reduction Act of last year, which was pretty amazing that they accomplished that, and they accomplished that with no Republican support. Well, the first thing that Kevin McCarthy said when he became House Speaker was, we're going to repeal that funding because we don't want 87,000 new IRS agents. It's amazing. It's amazing. Even in Republican administrations, the IRS came forward and said, you know what? We need more people. We can't get the job done. And recently, Janet Yellen, who heads the uh, Treasury Department, Treasury Secretary, she ordered the IRS to not use any of the new funding allocated to the agency to increase investigations of any American making $400,000 or less. And the scuttlebutt in the GOP and the conservative news channels is that the IRS is going to show up at your door with a gun and they're going to demand your money. (laughs) 
That's not true, okay? We'll also talk about legislation to provide an average 8.7% pay raise for federal employees, and that would be for uh, 2024. We announced that a couple of weeks ago. American Federation of Government Employees touting that as well. So uh, Tony's going to be our first guest. Then we're going to go to Scott Slauson. Scott is with uh, United Electrical Workers Local 506. They're based in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. little background, he uh, went to work for GE Transportation. That was in 2005, became a union steward that same year. In 2011, Scott was elected to divisional chief steward, then elected to president of the local in 2014. And the reason we're doing this, you may recall a show a couple of weeks ago with Carl Rosen. Carl's the national president. And we were talking about the Green Locomotive Project. And uh, Scott Slauson is the guy that knows all about that project. So that's why we're bringing him to the table today. UELocal506.com is the website. And this is a union. Their full name is the United Electrical Radio and Machine Workers of America. And they go back to 1936 when they were formed. And boy, in that time from the late 30s to the uh, mid to late 80s, they had a lot of members. They lost a lot of members over the years, and they're down to about 30, 32,000 right now. So uh, Scott Slauson will be our second guest right here on the show. Now, brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, boydwaterson.com. You know, the president had his uh, State of the Union message on Tuesday night, and I want to read to you a statement from Liz Schuler. Liz, of course, president of the AFL-CIO. Liz said, President Biden delivered a bold blueprint for an economy that at long last puts working people first. And that's what we want. Instead of catering to the wealthy and well-connected, the president declared that workers are America's backbone and good union jobs are the keystone of an economy that works for all. Well, that's why he called for the passage of the Protecting the Right to Organize Act so that all workers have the freedom to stand together in a union and negotiate for good pay, affordable health care, and safe working conditions. The administration's accomplishments in the last two years are just the beginning. The labor movement is organized, we are mobilized, and we are ready to ensure all workers, no matter who we are or where we are from, have the future we and our families deserve. Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO. Speaking of which... The Women's National Basketball Players Association, or the WNBPA, is now part of the AFL-CIO. And uh, the Labor Federation posted this on their website yesterday. Their affiliation is a historic step in our ongoing efforts to advance the rights and freedoms of women and people of color. As our nation celebrates Black History Month, and gets ready to celebrate Women's History Month in March, we are reminded every day of how far we have come and how much further we still have to go to build a nation that's truly dedicated to equal rights for all. The WNBPA has long understood the intersection between a union on the job, every job, and equality. Now, in its 25th year, the WNBPA's new partnership with the broader labor movement through the AFL-CIO turns a page in the story of our movement and elevates our shared commitment to equal rights, 
stronger job protections, and gender and racial justice for players and all workers around the country. Together, we'll develop new initiatives to advance equal pay, better conditions, and justice on the job for all workers. Their executive director is uh, Terry Jackson. Terry said, we truly understand the value and the power of good labor principles. A union such as ours has so few resources. But as our mission statement declares, it is through collective bargaining, protest, public service, community engagement, and educational programming that we challenge the workplace and societal conditions that stand in the way of our vision of what is possible for our lives and the future of our sport. Organizing, arriving at consensus, speaking with one united collective voice, and moving as one, we prevail. Your vote of affiliation is an affirmation of our place in the labor movement, May history accurately and properly record our contributions to the resurgence of the labor movement. This vote of affiliation is an award, and we thank you. They are happy. <laughs> they are really happy. Again, congratulations to the uh, Women's National Basketball Players Association, now part of the AFL-CIO. That would be the uh, 59th union in the Labor Federation. Baseball players affiliated last year, and they were number 58. The uh, GOP-led states of Nebraska, Idaho, Indiana, and South Carolina have appealed a January district court ruling that rejected their motion to block President Biden's $15 minimum wage for federal contractors. How about that? Biden directed the U.S. Labor Department to raise federal contractors' minimum wage to $15 via executive order. This was last April. The judge, John Tucci, of the U.S. District Court for the District of Arizona, dismissed the state's cases January 6th, finding that the states failed to show that the president went beyond his authority when ordering the pay raise for federal contractors and that the change was not reviewable. The case Arizona versus Walsh has been appealed to the Ninth Circuit. Biden's minimum wage order is also being challenged in separate federal lawsuits brought by a Texas-led three-state coalition as well as by a private recreational company. In the private company's case, the Tenth Circuit agreed to partially halt enforcement of the policy while the appeal is pending. The arguments were heard in that case in September. So... Here we go again. The president of the United States wants to raise wages. And you've got people in power that are saying no. And we're not asking too much. $15 an hour for federal contractors? Come on. And obviously in that case, it's again, it's Arizona versus Walsh. I assume that's Marty Walsh who is leaving the Labor Department. This announcement came a couple of days ago. It's still not official. Because what he's doing is trying to uh, get a position with the NHL Players Association. I understand he's a big Boston Bruins fan, loves hockey. And uh, there's another backstory on this. Apparently, Ron Klain has stepped down as Biden's chief of staff. And Marty 
wanted the job and he was passed over. So he figured, yeah, maybe it's time to go. But uh, right now, it appears when that happens, Julie Sue will take over as acting head. She is a deputy labor secretary uh, who will become the next one. Well, time will tell on that one. Let's see. We have uh, one more here, and this comes from the Steelworkers. Congratulations to the employees at Nurion Functional Chemicals. This would be in LaPorte, Texas. They voted last week to join the United Steelworkers Local 13-1. Union said, we're happy to welcome 78 new brothers, sisters, and siblings to our union family. Of course, the Steelworkers, proud sponsors of America's workforce, USW.org. All right, quick break. When we come back, the National Treasury Employees Union and their national president. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now... Back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Real simple. AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. Before we get to Tony Reardon, just want to give another plug here to the AFL-CIO and their uh, listing of union-made products for the Super Bowl, which is just two days away this Sunday. You got beer, Budweiser, Michelob, Sam Adams, meat. You got uh, Butterball, Dearborn Sausage, Hebrew National, chips, salsa, ruffles, Stacy's, pita chips. That's just a, a sampling here. And we're talking products made by the Bakeries Union, the Bakers Union, the UAW, the Machinists, the Food and Commercial Workers, and the Teamsters, and a whole lot more. I can't read them all here because I want to go to Tony, but uh, aflcio.org forward slash union made. So, these are some of the things you might be on the lookout for when you do some shopping this weekend. Right now, let's go to Washington, D.C. and join Tony Reardon. Tony is the president, national president of the National Treasury Employees Union. No stranger to the show. Been on a number of times. And today, going to spend a whole lot of time on the IRS and the GOP. And they seem to be clashing here. Tony Reardon, 
I'm waiting for that IRS agent. I got. I think I got most of my uh, 1099s. I'm waiting for that agent to show up at my front door with an AR-15 probably and say, Flash, you got to pay up. It's tax time. Is, is that going to happen here? Uh, Flash, first off, uh, thank you very much for having me. It is great to be on with you uh, on your program again. And, um, you know, here's what I'll, here's what I'll tell you about that. You know, the unfortunate part about this is that the folks who are making these claims that, you know, there's going to be 87,000 new armed IRS agents, you know, they know better. Um, it is, it is a bunch of uh, political posturing. I say that nicely. Um, they're, they're, they're lies. The folks who are peddling these lies know better. And of course, um, it's not that the IRS is hiring 87,000 new armed agents. Completely false. In fact, um, the IRS has something on the order of about 2,000 um, uh, armed agents, and they aren't people that go out you know, ordinarily um, to people's homes or businesses or anything like that. The 87,000 number that uh, we keep hearing about um, are um, employees that are going to be hired across a variety of positions, some in IT, many in customer service, answering telephones. So the IRS has projected that over the next um, uh, five to six years, they're going to lose 52,000 employees uh, to retirements and, you know, those, you know, leaving the agency for some reason like that. And so, um, you know, 52,000 or so of these 87,000 that are projected to be hired over the next uh, few years are going to simply replace the attrition, the folks that are lost through attrition. And the others are going to make up for the about 30,000 employees that the IRS has lost, you know, the net number lost since 2010. So in answer to your question, absolutely not. Do you or any other Americans have to worry about armed agents showing up um, to their house? That is um, a fabricated bunch of political posturing BS. So I'll leave it there. I like that. Well, I wanted to start off the show with a bang, and you you just, you know, you zeroed right in on it, and that's exactly what we needed to talk about on on the show here today because uh, the messaging, especially on the conservative side, is, well, they use a lot of scare tactics. They really do. And to your point, we have an agency that's bleeding workers. And, Tony, now you started as national president in 2015, and that's when Obama was in office. Then we went through Trump. And wasn't it during Trump's administration that uh, I believe the Treasury Secretary might have said, you know what, we need to hire some more agents? Hasn't been that. That has been kind of like the uh, the M.O. For a, for a number of years, not just under this president, right? Well, you're, you're absolutely right. And there are a number of uh, former IRS commissioners, for example, who have uh, really made the case very strongly about why it's important and that it is, in fact, important to um, hire in the IRS. You know, since 2010, the IRS has lost, um, you know, like 30,000 employees. I mean, tw- over 20 percent of its workforce. No organization can um, function effectively when you are, you know, losing people um you know, as, as significantly as the IRS has. And, and in addition to losing the people, it's also lost 
um, a significant amount of funding. And so when people wonder, like, you know, why does the IRS, for example, have a backlog of, of uh, uh, you know, uh, tax forms that, that have not been uh, processed, geez, it's not hard to figure that out, given the information that I just provided. So let's talk about what has been done right now. In the last Congress, there's the, the money in the Inflation Reduction Act, which was just shy of $80 billion to, uh, to fund the IRS and the, and the agents we talked about. And now the House Republicans passed a bill to take that money back. How does that happen? I, I don't understand that. They, they, they give the money and they, they have the right to take it back? Is that, is that what's going on? Well, so, um, so let, me, let me respond to that. Yes. The Republican um, bill to rescind the IRS funding would actually, and I think this is important to recognize in this, you know, were this to were this legislation actually to become law, um, uh, it would actually increase the federal deficit by a hundred and fourteen billion dollars over ten years. And so one might ask, whoa, 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 wait, wait, how? Well, the, the answer to that is because a rebuilt IRS is projected to generate $180 billion in new revenue um, over 10 years. So taking away that agency funding, um, candidly, would be a gift, and, and gift is important that we underscore here, to those who try to avoid paying their taxes. So the IRS is responsible for catching uh, tax cheats, many of whom are incredibly wealthy and can afford to hire literally armies of lawyers and accountants uh, to game the system. So obviously, President Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act um, that provided this additional IRS funding. And you were right, $79 billion over 10 years. So. You know, it's important to recognize in terms of whether or not, you know, with the uh, um, uh, Republicans going after this funding, um, it's important to recognize that there's absolutely no way that the president would sign this bill to repeal it. And candidly, even before it would ever get to that point, um, it won't pass in the Senate either. But I I think you're, you're right in the respect that, you know, there seems to be kind of, uh, I, I guess what I would describe as an all-out assault um, on the IRS right now, including um, um, a bill out there to abolish the entire agency and and to impose a 30% national sales tax. Now, look, I'm not a tax policy guy, but um, there are a great many that I've um, uh, read about and, and listened to that um, suggest that a 30% national uh, sales taxes is a remarkably uh, bad idea. You know, and so, but let me, let me, cause I'm sure there are a lot of uh, your listeners out there that are like, yeah, but Tony, come on. I mean, you know, this tax code is, is I mean, you know, you, you, you put it on a table and it's uh, a stack of paper, you know, pretty high. So should the tax code be simpler? Yes. But I think we all have to remember, you know, the group that is responsible for um, writing the tax laws is Congress. So it's up to them. They, they've, they've got to work with that. Right, mm-hmm. You know, for now, for now, from my perspective, Flash, the IRS is focused on customer service. 
They're focused on modernizing um, their systems, um, reducing backlogs that have been out there because of all of these, um, you know, the funding challenges as well as the staffing challenges I mentioned. Um, And um, they're responsible for collecting 96% of our government's revenue that runs the federal government and provides the services that all Americans uh, desperately need. Let's uh, go back to this national sales tax. And I know this has been batted around for years. 30%. Now, let me ask you, is that on top of what people would pay in their respective states, uh, local local sales tax, state sales tax, and then they put a 30% sales tax? And I guess um, this, is a two, this is a two-part question here. Don't you think something like that would be an excessive burden? on the lower income, the poor people in America, if they go that route? You know, that's certainly, that's certainly my view. And in terms of um, how um, it would be implemented, um, I don't know all of the details. I think you're right. I think it would be on top of, but um, candidly, I've not spent a lot of time uh, studying, um, you know, this because the reality is, I'll just be very honest with you. It isn't going to happen. And I mean, it's not going to happen for the reason reasons I stated, but I think in the final analysis, um, uh, everybody rec- uh, recognizes, you know, they can say whatever they want on the floor of the House or Senate. But the reality is, I think everybody recognizes that if anything's going to be done, they're going to have to make the tax code simpler, but they're not going to go to a, a um, uh, national sales tax mm-hmm. uh, because I think you're right. The, uh, you know, a great deal of the burden is then on. Um, some of the more vulnerable uh, citizens in our country. Tony, it's good to hear what your uh, point of view is on that, that it's not going to happen. But you have to understand, everything today is all about a soundbite. And uh, obviously, there's a lot of people that don't want to pay their taxes. And they hate the IRS, especially around tax time. So uh, those soundbites end up mostly on conservative media. And that's exactly what we're dealing with. Tony Reardon joining us on our live line today, national president of the uh, National Treasury Employees Union, nteu.org, is their website. Later in the show, we're going to go to Erie, Pennsylvania, and join Scott Slauson of the United Electrical Workers. That would be Local 506. We're going to talk about the Green Locomotive Project. Back in a few minutes with Tony. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AF. GE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL CIO. 
From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without iron workers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained iron workers and 20,000 apprentices, the Iron Workers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Iron Workers, the sky's the limit. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at OH. Dot AFT dot org. Let's go back to our live line from Washington today. Tony Reardon, president of the National Treasury Employees Union. Are you still at uh, 150,000 members at uh, NTEU? Is that right? We represent 150,000. That's correct. And uh, a total of 34 agencies. Man, you are in almost every branch of government. It's amazing. But I want to get back to the, uh, the IRS situation here. I came across a story from The Nation magazine, great publication, and they point out with the top 1% of earners evading, evading as much as $163 billion in taxes a year, giving the IRS the tools to investigate those making over $400,000 a year could yield $1 trillion over the next decade. Now, Tony, you've seen all the stories, you know, people like Jeff Bezos not paying taxes. Trump came out. Well, it wasn't him. They forced him on his taxes. And we see so many people, corporations going through the loopholes because they can pay for very, very pricey attorneys to figure out those loopholes. And sometimes they they, uh, really (laughs) stretch it a little bit too far. Sometimes they caught more often they don't. So I I don't understand this whole situation. Um, You would think, especially now we talked about the deficit. A trillion dollars over the next decade could make a uh, make a big uh, slice in that budget, don't you think? Uh, yes, I do think. Um, I think you're exactly right about that. You know, one of the important points, uh, Flash, that I want to make is, you know, we've been talking about the um, uh, Inflation Reduction Act funding of $79 billion. And I think one important point to make is that um, Treasury has said that the new funding will not be used to raise audit rates for households making less than 400,000. You mentioned the 400,000 and you, um, when you were setting up the question. And so I wanted to like really kind of like, you know, outline that and underscore that because I think that is really um, an incredibly important thing. Now, look, a big focus of the investment will in fact be enforcement. And I think it's for um, a, a very, very good reason. The latest, um, estimate of the tax gap, the actual tax gap. Now, certainly the uh, prior commissioner and o- others have used um, uh, the $1 uh, trillion number. But even if you just go with the uh, latest estimate of the uh, net tax gap, it is $428 billion 
and it continues to grow all the time. And so the IRS really needs uh, many more revenue officers and revenue agents and people who can audit the more complicated returns of wealthy individuals and large uh, corporations to make sure that everyone is paying their fair share. Now, Mm -hmm. why is that important? Well, it's important certainly from the monetary, you know, the financial aspect, but, but it's also important because if, you know, our citizenry does not believe that the tax system is fair and guess what? That kind of that kind of creates a real crack in the foundation of our democracy. And so, you know, I think it's really important that I don't care if you're wealthy and you can afford a lot of lawyers. You still are required to do your part. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think this funding will enable the IRS to bring on um, many more um, uh, accountants, revenue officers and revenue agents ultimately, that will be able to make sure that uh, they're enforcing the tax code. So right now, as we speak, and we, we did touch on this in the first segment, that, that money out of the Inflation Reduction Act, I know the House said no to it, but it is going to move forward then, and, and we're, we're going to be okay going because of what Biden did in the last session? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and in fact, you know, there have already been um, – uh, 5,000, I believe the number is 5,000 new customer service reps uh, that were recently hired, which, by the way, is not all that easy um, in this economy when similar private sector jobs pay quite a bit more money. But these folks are going to be answering phones, helping taxpayers during filing season um, and, you know, helping other, you know, helping professionals um, who you know, need, need assistance um, as well. I would also mention that um, there are, the IRS is bringing on 650 new people to staff what are known as taxpayer assistance centers. Those are centers around uh, the country where people can go for in-person help because there's some folks who are like, you know what, I can't figure this out on my own. I need to talk to somebody. I need to sit down with them. I need to bring my paper, uh, my papers and I need help. And that's what those taxpayer assistance centers are. And many over the last several years, last decade have closed because they didn't have the sufficient staffing for it. Well, what we've got now is we're starting to see that the IRS is able to staff those with the new hire. So, yes, the $79 billion is happening, and it is very good, certainly for the IRS, but it's also good for the country. Yeah, yeah. And people want customer service, especially when it comes to tax time. And I've heard horror stories of people not getting through, and that's because a lot of jobs were shed in the last couple of years. All right, one more question here. Pay raise. I understand there's a legislation to provide a pay raise of 8.7% for federal employees. Now, this would be for 2024. And uh, I recall a story, one of uh, another union, that was American Federation of Government Employees. They were touting it. Where where are you with that? Is is that uh, is that that that's a that's a nice chunk? Is it enough? Uh, what's your what's your position right now, Tony? Well, you know that's an excellent um, question, Flash, and you know it, it's it's a somewhat complicated answer in, in this respect. Is it enough? Well, you know I, I think it's it's something that should be doable uh, by the federal government. Um, we certainly NTEU has endorsed uh, what is known as the Fair Act. Um, and that's the 8.7% that you uh, mentioned for 2024. And what it would do is it would provide an across-the-board increase of 4.7% in 
and an average 4% in what are known as locality increases. In the federal government, there are a bunch of different localities with the idea behind it being that if you live in a high cost area that you get a little bit more uh, than maybe somebody in in a lower cost of uh, 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 living area. And, you know, the fact of the matter is the reason I said it's a it's a difficult question to answer in terms of is it enough? um, As I said, we're supporting the 8.7, but we also have to think about that with the backdrop of what the disparity is between the private sector and the federal sector. Mm-hmm. And that disparity was put out by what is known as the Federal Salary Council, which is an advisory body to, the, uh, to President Biden's uh, pay agent. I sit on that for um, NTEU, and um, we put out a report recently that said that the, um, uh, th- that the disparity between the private sector and the federal sector is 24.09%. So certainly my view is that federal employees should be making 24.09% more. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. let's we we all live in the real world. You know, the 8.7 I think is a fair pay increase um given the circumstances and uh, so that's what we're supporting. Well, good luck to you. I know uh, the federal government does it very, very slowly, and uh, they they don't want. It seems like they don't want too many people to notice. Like, that's why the, these pay increases are like two, three percent. And uh, federal government employees, all government employees, always seem to be beaten up, especially throughout various administrations. So, just want to let you know that we support you here on America's Workforce, hundred fifty thousand strong. 34 agencies in so many different branches of government. Tony, I always appreciate you coming to the show. And I learn a lot. You got a lot of fire in your belly, brother. You got to keep it going, okay? Uh, You know what, uh, Flash? I absolutely will keep it going. And I very much appreciate your support as well as uh, uh, having me on. NTEU.org is a website. You can also check them out on Facebook. That would be NTEU National and follow them on Twitter, NTEU News. Tony, you take care. We'll talk down the road. Okay, brother? Okay. Take care, Flash. Thank you, sir. All right. Scott Slauson is with UA Local 506 out of Erie, PA. He's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Lyuna. Find out what it takes for Lyuna to keep America running at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. 
The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to Erie, Pennsylvania right now. Joining us on line number two is Scott Slauson. Scott is president of the UE Electrical Workers Union. 506 United Electrical Workers. It's a longer title than that. It's the United Electrical Radio and Machine Workers of America, which uh, goes back to 1936. Scott Slauson, welcome to America's Workforce. Thanks for joining us today, brother. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, we had your president on a couple of weeks ago, Carl Rosen. Great guy. Had a wonderful conversation with him. And uh, your name came up. And we're talking about this green locomotive project. He said, you got to talk to Scott about that. So that's why we have you on the show today. We like it when uh, when we do an interview and it branches out to other guests because we're trying to cover as many unions on the show as possible. I mean, there's now 59 unions affiliated with the AFL-CIO, and you're just one of them, UELocal506.com. Scott, tell me a little bit about yourself. I understand uh, now you grew up in Erie, and you uh, you went to the Navy. Why don't you pick it up from there? Yeah, I uh, I grew up in Erie. I was born and raised in Erie, Pennsylvania. I uh, I went to the United States Navy right out of high school because uh, I didn't want to waste the uh, the parents' money. I wasn't ready for college, and you know, little known to me is uh, in the military. Contrary to popular belief, you have to do a lot of schooling. So I spent some time in the military. Got out uh, around. Uh, uh, the early 2000s, went to work for Zern Industries uh, Union Shop here in Erie, Pennsylvania. I was a steel worker. Uh, opportunity arose to go to General Electric Transportation, which is the locomotive builders of the world. And uh, I thought to myself, That's, you can't find a cooler job if you tried than building locomotives. So I went to work for GE Transportation in 2005 and uh, immediately got very involved in the union from, you know, alternate union steward all the way up through to elected to president in 2014, and I've been the president of the local ever since. How many members in 506 right now, Scott? Uh, right now we have uh, between fourteen and 1,500. Uh, at times that number can go up to 4,000. Wow. Now how does it get up to 4,000? What, what, uh, what do you attribute that to? <laughs> we build locomotives. So when the demand is there to build new locomotives, uh, our population increases. And, you know, right now we're kind of in a little bit of a lull, although it's starting to get busier. Oh, that's good. I, I like what you said about not wanting to waste your parents. But I wish one of my kids would have said that instead of going to college. <laughs> that's a great yeah, line. Yeah. <laughs> God yeah. bless you I, for that. I knew, I knew, you know, Hey, listen, I was a young, young man. And it was one of those deals where I was more interested in, in, uh, in, in seeing the world and, and having a good time than I was in, in schooling. So I figured, well, I'm going to take what I believe is the best course of action. And I joined the military. And I'm sure you learned a whole lot in those 13 years, which made you what you are today. So let's talk about building locomotives. I don't think I've ever talked to anybody. I'm going to be doing this show for 25 years this summer. I never talked to anybody building locomotives. We talked about 
trains, rails, and, you know, we were getting into the possibility of a rail strike last year, which really got ugly at times, but that's a different issue. Building locomotives. I mean, where do we start? I mean, <laughs> and, and getting involved in this kind of, you have, like you have a team of people and also this leads to the green locomotive project because the locomotives today are not the locomotives of yesterday. So talk to me about that, Scott. Right. Yeah. Building locomotives, uh, you know, it's like building anything else, just on a much grander scale. You know, it, it's kind of comparing building a ship, right? It's a, it's a massive piece of equipment. You know, when they're, when they're finished, they weigh about 460,000 pounds. They're upwards of 6,000 horsepower and they're designed to be out there running the rails for, for uh, a very long time. So it is a team of people. We start with raw steel, nuts and bolts, wires, and, and uh, you know, it takes approximately 20 days from start to finish. Uh, but at the end of it, there you, you have a brand-new locomotive. They're all handcrafted. I mean, every one of them. There's nothing stamped out like an automobile uh, just because it's impossible to do. But, you you know, the finished product is 75 feet long. It weighs, you know, approximately 460,000 pounds. And, uh uh, it's a beast, and it's just a really cool job, and I, I very much uh, enjoyed, you know, having the opportunity to be part of building locomotives. So what kind of skills are we talking about when it comes to building a locomotive? And, and how many, you mentioned 20 days. I'm, 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 I'm stunned on how quick that happens. Uh, how many people does yeah. it take, and, and the skills, can you address that? Yeah, it's it's approximately 3,000 hours worth of work, so, you know, you divide that out. But at any given time, we have as many as 20 locomotives in production, and we're a 900-acre facility uh, that encompasses 20-some buildings. So the locomotives actually move from building to building as they're being produced. Uh, but, you know, the skills are across the board. I mean, you have everything from light welding to extremely heavy welding, machining, uh, assembly, wiring, uh, computers. I mean, it's it's ridiculous the skill levels that are required to do this, uh, and it's uh, it's all encompassing for sure. And, and it's all done by your local five O's. You don't have any other unions working on this. There are there are three other unions in the plant, but UE Local Five Hundred Six we're the ones that build the locomotives and put them together. Other than that, we have you know a drafters union that helps do all the drafting design for the locomotives. Uh, we have a sister local UE Local Six Eighteen that does the uh, the cataloging and, and testing different uh, uh, variances of testing on on parts before they go on the locomotives. And then we have a, a union that uh, that does plant protection for our plant. So they make sure that everybody's safe and their well-being is good. So let's get into the green locomotive project. I, I understand you're the you're the guy that started all this. And maybe you can give us some details on how it's green. Yeah, it, it, uh, there's a fundamental problem in the United States. You know, if you go back to the early 2000s, one of the things that government did was uh, they said we want to start putting emission restrictions on on things like locomotives, uh, ships, and, and, and whatnot. But the problem comes to play as the years transpired on, there was projections made that by the time we get to where we're at now, which is 2023, that at least 30% of the locomotive fleet out there should be in the tier four range, which is uh, extremely uh, 
sensitive to environmental restrictions, and and it's just not happening. And, and we see this. There's too many loopholes, too much grandfathering, and unfortunately, uh, locomotives are just built so well that they can be rebuilt over and over again. So when you look at the average age of a locomotive, basically 65% of the fleet out there is at least 20 years old and as old as 50 years old still running the rails, um, which means they don't fall into any of the emission restrictions that are currently code today for a new locomotive. So one of the things that we're looking to do is, is say that, that carriers need to start replacing these fleets, uh, and they need to start in the inner city rail yards and then start expanding out from there. Uh, these things use an enormous amount of diesel, and, and they are highly polluting. Uh, and in the grand scheme of things, as we look towards the future and say that we need to start reducing carbon emission and start reducing this stuff to protect our world, uh, we also need to look to rail to handle a majority of the transportation inside of the United States. So it's, it's a win-win if we start transitioning into putting cleaner locomotives on the tracks. So where are we with the project right now? Do you have a, a, a timetable on what needs to be done to get to what the government wants with regard to their standards? Yeah, I mean, the problem is, is is you have to move mountains when you're doing things like this because we all know that, the number one, the, the wheels of bureaucracy going very slow. And, oh, yeah. and number two, it's, it's trying to get everybody on board uh, there's this big misconception about what green actually means, and and so it's it's trying to get everybody on the same page and marching in the same direction. That's always very difficult. Senator Casey here in Pennsylvania actually introduced legislation a couple years ago. Uh, it kind of at this point has gone nowhere. And you know, one of the things that we have to deal with is this isn't being done at a state level. It has to be done at a federal level because right now. Railroads are federally mandated, so you have to drive that change with the federal government, and right now we can't even agree on a budget. So <laughs> you can imagine the enormity of trying to get this done. Well, hopefully you can get it done or at least get a start on it while you're still president of uh, 506. What what do we need to do on this end? I mean, we've got a powerful voice for unions around the country, and, and I know political leaders listen to this show, and the show's growing every day. We're on six platforms and growing. What uh, What's your message here? What, what do we got to do? <laughs> well, my message is simply this. We need change. I mean, there's no ignoring what's going on around us, right? I, again, I live in Erie, Pennsylvania, the home of six-foot snowfalls, uh, and this year, I can tell you, we barely had 15 inches of snow. So you could see the changing weather patterns around us, but you start looking at the enormity of what's happening in the world with the killer hurricanes that are hitting, the droughts, the monsoons, where they're normally not. Uh, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that something's going on around us and we need to start driving change. And change doesn't happen overnight. That has to be fully understandable to everybody. We can't just flip a switch and say, okay, no more fossil fuels, it's all green energy from now on. Uh, we have to do these things in stages and safe and protected manners uh, so that, number one, we understand we're not doing more harm than good, and number two, uh, to, to just start the change. And, and, you know, the EPA did a great job years ago of saying that, okay, as we move forward, uh, we want to see change in the locomotive industry, and we're going to start 
making, uh, you know, the, the railroad carriers uh, responsible for some of that change. And that, that came around the tier zero through tier four locomotives. But the, the fundamental disconnect is technology is expensive. So when you look at the rail carriers today, they're more interested in saving a dollar than saving the planet. Yep. And, and so what they've done is, as we started going through these tiers and the prices of the locomotives started to increase slightly, you saw a serious decline in the amount of locomotives uh, of a cleaner flavor that were being built, right? So today, uh, statistically right now, there's approximately 25,000 locomotives operated by Class 1 carriers, such as, as Burlington Northern, Union Pacific, uh, the NS uh, accident that we just saw in in Ohio. There, uh, these are uh, these are your class one carriers, and and of those twenty six thousand locomotives that are out there running the tracks uh, for the for the class ones, less than two thousand of them are tier four locomotives, uh, and the tier four standard was adopted eight years ago. So when you think of the reality of the situation, the EPA had predicted by this time. 30% of that fleet should have been tier four. We're nowhere near that. I mean, our, our, at right now, we're at about 8% of the active fleet is, is running tier four. So there's no enforcement on the side of the government to say, you need to start running cleaner locomotives. And then the next fundamental problem you run into is the rail yards themselves. Uh, they're, they're typically in, in recessed districts, uh, uh, disadvantaged people live around them, mm-hmm. uh, inner cities. Uh, they have these big rail yards, and, and most of the time in the rail yards themselves, you have the oldest of the locomotives, the most polluting of the locomotives running in those areas. And it's been proven time and time again that cancer rates are up in those areas. You're pumping heavy metals into the ground from the diesel fuels. The lit locomotives are constantly running. So when you couple all these things together, it says we need to make change, but we all have to start moving in that direction. I hear and that's that. honestly what prompted me to get into this. UELocal506.com is the website. Scott Slauson is their uh, president. Well, I'll tell you, I learned a lot on the show. I appreciate you coming to the table, and you're welcome here anytime. Hopefully, uh, we can move the needle in the right direction together. Okay, brother? Much appreciated, brother. Thank you for your time. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, we're going to check in with the Connecticut AFL-CIO and the Insulators. Until then, all of you, have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.